Hello and welcome to another episode of Luxury News Weekly. This week we are talking about a VP of ST Lauder being suspended for a very uh, racist meme maybe? We'll talk about it. Also, what is happening to these billionaire yachts? Are they being seized or are they being detained? Again, we have a watch that is the first ever open-worked Royal Oak AP with a flying tourbillon. We're going to get into that. Also, Louis Vuitton releases the perfect coffee book showing how some of their crafts are made in the factory. And last but not least, the biggest collab of 2022, Gucci X Adidas has dropped and we want to talk about how that looks. Welcome to Luxury News Weekly, your number one source for luxury news. I'm your host, Simba Wakatama. And I'm your host, Elizabeth Solaru. Let's get into it with this Estee Lauder situation. So to summarize this, a very insensitive meme was posted by the vice president of Estee Lauder, and he got suspended for it. Some are calling it a racist meme in quotation marks. Some are calling it just a funny but inappropriate meme for the VP of such a large company to be posting on Instagram. Uh, so he posted this meme and I will describe the meme uh, just for context. But when I saw this, I didn't believe it. I honestly did not believe it. It was something that a teenager would would uh, would send to their friends. It's something that people would not post ever. They would just maybe send to their friends. Um, so this meme featured Big Bird from Sesame Street and uh, Snuffy. Uh, and basically Big Bird has got uh, a mask on. And the snuffy character is uh, is sick in the hospital bed, and it it's basically it looks like a fake uh, book cover for Sesame Street, and the title reads "My N-word Snuffy Don Got the Rona at a Chingy Concert." Now Chingy's a rapper. It's not uh, that's not the derogatory slur, um, but yeah. What do you think, Elizabeth? Well. <sighs> I'm I'm terribly disappointed. I follow his Instagram account. He uses a lot of memes, a lot of videos, and they're usually very, very funny. But this was absolutely inappropriate and very, very insensitive. The problem is he probably thinks that he's down with the kids, but he crossed the line. The only good thing I can say is that his apology was quite swift and he recognized that he did he shouldn't have done what he did. He just didn't he didn't just offend um, people of color by using that slur. It was also quite offensive to children as well because you know Sesame Street national institution very beloved. So that's one side of my feelings about this. The other side is that in, in a weird irony, he's actually done a lot for diversity because I remember he headed up Mac. He transformed that makeup brand. He raised a lot of money. He started his career about 31 years ago in 1984. I think he 
met Estee Lauder herself. And he was actually one of the earliest champions of diversity and not just performative diversity, but true diversity. So I remember billboards many, many, many years ago where um, RuPaul was used as the face of Mac, et cetera, et cetera. So he has done a lot of really, really good work for diversity, only for it to be undone with a stupid post. And it then makes me think, is there nobody that checks? You know, when you, I don't know, there must be some sort of social media strategy for senior execs, I should imagine. And at these strategy meetings, I don't know, weekly, monthly, whatever, surely somebody must be checking to make sure that at the very least, the content passes some sort of legal, ethical, and moral check. Because the use of that word, and I don't care who uses it, whether, you know, person of color, non-person of color, I don't care. There should be no need to use that word by anyone in the first place. So again, as a a human being, as an executive, as a company representative, absolutely not right. This should not have happened. And the fact that he even thought that this was an okay thing to post, a racial slur on, on the front of a book depicting children's characters, not cool, not good at all. And the firing was absolutely right. But it's such a shame that he's ruined his life's work by such a stupid display of judgment. Yeah, it was <laughs> such a stupid post. Okay, here's my thing, though. In the context of Instagram, I really don't think... You know what this is, most of all? An inappropriate post. Because the culture of Instagram would would kind of reckon this as insensitive, Racist, there's a reason why there's a lot a lot of the publications are hesitant to call it racist because they know, like we know, my generation knows, who I'm on Instagram like two to five hours a day. I don't look at this and immediately think racist post. If if I saw the post and I didn't know who posted it, like most people on Twitter, because I was gauging it on Twitter, most people on Twitter they're like, racist, this is just bad. You know what I mean? It's just a bad post because people use that kind of language in the culture. Now, the issue becomes that this is an executive. This is, I love how they say executive. No, he was the executive vice president, okay? $10 million salary, all right? This is a, this is a guy um, who really does need to be watching what he posts. But from like what you're saying, he definitely thinks he's down with the kids. He uses memes um, and, you know, that kind of thing. And I think he got trapped in his own, what do they say? The bee drowned in its own honey, if that makes sense. Right? That is spot on. Yes. Now, do I think he should get fired for it? Uh, No, I don't. I really don't. Do I think he should be reprimanded for it? Absolutely. But it's the it's kind of like the nature of of meme culture. You're gonna hit and then you're gonna miss. Um, and I 
you know, kind of, I think if you're firing someone, you should be looking at the intent. I don't think he was trying to be racist. And I also think because it says Chingy on there, people really thought it was a, a joke about um, coronavirus and Asia. So I think that a lot of people think that. They don't know the rapper, right? And I think that fueled the flame, right? So it's just stupid on, 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 a, on a ton of levels uh, that he would post this meme, but I fundamentally don't think he should be fired for it. But that's just my personal opinion. Yeah, um, I completely understand what you're saying and I completely get where you're coming from. But unfortunately, we're talking about a perfect storm. So regard, sometimes it's not the intent, it's the impact, unfortunately, in this case. This was a perfect storm of everything. We've got a children's character. We've got the language. We've got, you know, um, COVID. All of us are just coming out of that, hopefully. So unfortunately, everything just came together to the point where context almost doesn't really matter rather than the impact. And also, I think you've also said a very important thing there. It's the way people also take it because sometimes you might have an intention and if something doesn't land well with your target audience, you are done for. And this is cancel culture, unfortunately. So perfect storm, cancel culture, and nobody was looking at what he, you know, the impact of the good that he'd done in his career. So, for example, I know this because I know that they were one of the few companies to actually support certain causes like um, HIV and AIDS and the Mac Glam um, uh, fundraiser over the years has raised about half a billion dollars. Nobody talked about that. Instead, his whole career of 30-something years boiled down to a bad meme, which is a shame. So I think he has done a lot for the company. I think he's absolutely done a lot for the industry. But unfortunately, one bad Instagram post and poof, he's gone. Yeah, that's, that's the power of social media and that's why i you know i always tell um uh, people that you know your social media is not your social media it's your brand and it belongs to the people viewing it it belongs to the internet and what you do on there will affect you so it's okay to have a personality on there it's okay to you know poke the bear a bit but just know that whatever you post is there forever forever you see that with twitter a lot of the time and of course it only takes one meme and then someone's gonna start digging into every single post he's made for the past 20 years and look for every single um, mistake to just feel that fire because people have time people have time on, on twitter and instagram right so uh yeah you you have to be very very careful and let this be a warning to anyone that's got something to lose just avoid it just avoid posting memes <laughs> absolutely although all his fans almost i'd say almost all his fans on instagram 
um, came out, offered support, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, it's such a shame though, because he had done, you know, this is the irony. He'd done so much for diversity only to be undone by a bad, 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 bad meme around diversity. And I'll end it with this quote from him. He says, um, after his, uh, his uh, apology, which I think everyone should uh, read, he says, I hope that in time people will judge me not for the awful mistake, but for the lifetime of words and actions which demonstrate my respect for all people. And he does have a lot of words and actions, like he had said, that demonstrate uh, that that kind of uh, respect. I hope that people will find it in their hearts to forgive him and put themselves in in his uh, shoes. You know, we've all sent a risky post to people. Um, we've we've all made mistakes. So you know, let's take a look at that. And he's been fired. I think that's I think that's fair enough that he's been that he's been fired. You know, so um, yeah. But hey, we all have different opinions, and we all get affected by these things differently. So. That's just uh, our opinion. I absolutely agree with you. I completely agree. Yes. Now, oh, man, talking about heavy topics, it's no surprise that we are in a war right now. Okay. And uh, Luxury News Weekly, of course, is not a political show. We're a luxury news show, but this is news. And one of the fallouts of this is the sanctions on Russian billionaires, basically. And uh, what we're noticing is that a lot of yachts are being seized. And uh, it's actually, this makes for a very interesting dilemma because it's not very easy to seize some of these yachts. And I'll tell you why. So let's start with a particular one. So a Russian billionaire's mega yacht um, in Germany has been, uh, let's call it detained for now, all right? It belongs to Alisher Uzmanov, and here's the problem. So because of the sanctions that are being imposed on uh, Russian billionaires with their affiliation to, the, to their government, a lot of um, ports are not letting them take their yachts out. But to actually seize the yacht, you need to issue a certain kind of uh, documentation that clearly states that this person owns this yacht and it is now being seized. But these billionaires, are they're clever. They've got the yachts under so many shell corporations. They're registered under different names, right? So it... It's not a direct tie from the yacht to the owner. So because of that, a lot of these yachts can't directly be seized. So what they do instead is you need, uh, in this particular case, you need a waiver. That's an, e an export waiver that allows your yacht to leave. Uh, but they're just not giving them that waiver so the yacht can't leave. So it's seized by kind of bureaucracy. Right? Such an interesting ta uh, way to do it, but they're still just putting pressure on the Russian government through its billionaires. And uh, yeah, what do you think about this? Ah, this is, it's a really tricky one um, for everyone concerned because uh, where do I start? Um, the UK 
And again, we stress that this is not a political show. I'm just, this is a news commentary show. And I'm just literally repeating some of the talking points that I have read on many um, news sources like the BBC, ITV, etc. And from what I understand, the UK is one of the countries that has actually allowed and enabled a lot of Russian money. So whether we like it or not, seizing yachts, etc. is just a tip of the iceberg. And like you said, legally, legally, they need those pieces of papers in order to, to be able to do so. So yes, you're putting pressure by not allowing yacht owners to maybe enjoy their yachts, etc., etc. However, I mean, I don't know if I should really say this. However, you've actually enabled them in the first place. So for me, this is performative. This is not, this is putting some pressure, but I don't think it's getting to the root cause of the problem that we have right now with the in- illegal invasion of Ukraine. So that, though, you know, that's my feeling about it. And many countries have actually followed suit. Germany was first. We, uh, France has actually seized, uh, well, detained some yachts. So has Italy. And I feel that these are me too actions as opposed to the countries getting together and really getting to the root of this. Yes, when you're fighting a war, you fight the war on many levels. So we've had, this is a financial war, for example, on Russia. We've also had the social media war, the propaganda war, et cetera, et cetera. However, is that really enough? Does that go far enough? And are we treating the problem from the very source? And those are my initial thoughts about that. Yeah, and you and you do touch on a lot of points. And but one thing I do want to say is that you know, in this particular case, the war on on luxury, let's say, not the war on luxury, the luxury war is actually as impactful as a lot of these other things, the social media, this and that, because the Russian oligarchs and uh, benefactors of the current uh, government have so much wealth and engage in so much luxury that they directly influence the entire industry, right? So much. Uh, so when these uh, yachts are being seized, the mansions will be taken and the luxury brands are pulling out of the country, but now no one's allowing you to travel, it becomes uh, kind of such an inconvenience to your life and your lifestyle that they're hoping that this is the first kind of stock warning. But like you said, it's just a, it's just a warning. It's a warning shot, right? Um, so it's not exactly uh, putting the foot down all the way. And, you know, this is interesting. I, you know, t- we'll definitely revisit, but I've seen stores now, Louis Vuitton is one of them, and I think Gucci pulling out of Russia. Uh, but because the um, uh, Russian currency, the ruble, is tanking so fast that uh, anyone with any kind of uh, liquid cash 
has to buy diamonds and gold and other things that are that will at least hold their value um rolexes and the like right uh so <laughs> there's gonna be a huge spike in the luxury industry because of this uh this unfortunate situation um so it's just it's one of the weirdest situations and we're just seeing it on in real time it's it's so strange absolutely and but unfortunately and ultimately it's the ordinary people of russia who really do not want a war even a, a number of the oligarchs do not want a war but it's the ordinary people of russia who are going to be impacted the most with these brands pulling out of russia because employ i mean some of the luxury brands have actually said that they will continue paying salaries of their employees, although they've actually shut down a number of their stores in Russia, which I think is good. But how long is that going to last? I mean, we are now day 11 of the war. I don't know if there's, if, if there's going to be a resolution anytime soon. So it's the ordinary people of Russia and who are actually, some of them are actually coming out to protest the war. And also remember that the propaganda is going on on both sides. We've also got Russia banning um, certain, you know, like the BBC, for example, can, can no longer, Russia has, has said the BBC can't, can't operate there because people were turning to the BBC to get facts. So it's a bit of a mess. I hope those sanctions begin to work. I hope the pressures that are being put on the Russian elite begin to have some sort of impact so they can say to their guy, look, I think you've gone far enough. Let's put a stop to this. That's what I'm really, really hoping for because nobody, coming out of COVID, nobody wants World War Three, And the poor people of Ukraine, they don't deserve any of this. Nobody wants it. The world can't afford it. Let's just nip it in the bud right here, please. <laughs> okay. Let's, uh, there's too much at stake right now. And yeah, I agree with you. No one wants this. Right. Now, to kind of change the topic a bit, uh, let's take a look at the watch world for a second here. A piece of history has been made. And it's in the form of Royal Oak's 50th anniversary. And so for the 50th anniversary, they released the, uh, the first uh, open-worked AP, Royal Oak, with a flying turbion. Now, for those who don't know what I just said, <laughs> uh, basically, this is a Royal Oak with a skeleton dial. So you can actually see the inner workings. You can see the gear trains. You can see um, all the moving parts through the watch because they removed everything that they don't need except for the functional parts. And they also have a tourbillon in there. Um, so, yeah, this is a stainless steel case and also stainless steel bracelet. It has white gold uh, markers, our markers, um, and it has, I think the hands are white gold as well. It has the, of course, the turbion co complication, um, time itself winding, 
It's in 41 millimeters and it's about a centimeter thick. So it's, it's, you know, it's a chunky, it's a chunky watch, but it's quite amazing. It's very beautiful. And I think it's a watch lover's dream. Perfect 50th anniversary watch showcasing the complexity of their movement, showcasing the craftsmanship of the brand. What do you think about this, Elizabeth? Well, I've had a look at it and I think it's absolutely beautiful. I'm not particularly knowledgeable when it comes to watches and everything that I've learned has been as a result of doing a show like this. And you've explained um, a number of things and I'm very grateful for that knowledge. But in terms of pure engineering, this is absolutely genius. Uh, I love how all the complex inner workings of the watch has been exposed. I love the layering. I love the finish. And the way AP approaches what they call skeletonization is very traditional in manner. So all the excess materials, such as the bridges, the plates, they're discarded as much as possible without impeding any functionality or efficiency so that way you get to see all the nooks and crannies of movement that would typically be invisible to anyone but the watchmaker who knew what went in so i love 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 the open worked architecture of this watch i also love the little gems are they are they rubies you know those tiny little gems can you confirm if uh, yes. they're rubies? Yeah, I love them as well. Um, I love when they add tiny little gems because these gems are very carefully placed and they provide balance because or else you just have just pure stainless steel, but they really add a bit of balance. And another thing I didn't know is that the, self, the first self-winding Turbion wristwatch was produced, you know, they produced that all the way back in 1986, which is absolutely fantastic. So I love this watch. I think it's a collector's dream. And one of these days, Simba, when I make my money, I might buy one of them for you. Oh, I thank you. <laughs> what on earth is a tourbillon? Well, you've heard us say it a couple of times on Luxury News Weekly, so today I'm going to explain it. Because not only is Luxury News Weekly your number one source for luxury news, we also want to keep you informed and educated on luxury terms. Let's get into it. Well, what is a turbion complication? It all started through pocket watches. When pocket watches were common, they would sit upright in your pocket all day. Now, the problem with a mechanical watch, which is the case where you need a tourbillon, is that you've got a bunch of springs and a bunch of gears. And so the effects of gravity are especially strong if it is upright, especially when it comes to what's called the mainspring and escapement. If you don't know what the mainspring and escapement are, we have an amazing Instagram reel on our Instagram at Luxury News Weekly, which explains in one minute how a mechanical watch actually works. Because I bet you don't know how a mechanical watch keeps time. So go watch that and then continue listening to this. Okay, so 
how do we negate these effects of gravity? Because while the, the gravity is pulling on the mainspring and the escapement, it is making the watch lose a bunch of time. So what we do is we put the escapement and that spring in a tourbillon, which is a case that moves round throughout the day. And that way it distributes the effects of gravity over the different parts of the escapement, which actually keeps time. And that, if in effect, keeps the watch more accurate. Okay, Simba. Well, that sounds a little complicated. Why do we need it in a wristwatch? Well, the truth is we don't. You are the tourbillon when you're wearing a wristwatch. Your hand's moving. The effects of gravity are affecting different parts of the watch all the time. So right now in the modern day, the tourbillon is kind of an aesthetic feature and it is an ode to high horology. And let's just be honest, it's cool to watch this thing spin around and tick. It's, it's amazing. So that's what a tourbillon is. Now you know, you can impress your friends. Now back to the program. Let's talk about this book that Louis Vuitton is uh, releasing, which I definitely want to get my hands on. It's called The Louis Vuitton Manufacturers. And what they do is they photographed their craftspeople uh, actually assembling, making, cutting, you know, working on some of their goods. I'm particularly excited about this because I would consider myself a craftsperson. And oftentimes what I'll do is when I'm referencing, well, like how, how would I try this new process? Like for instance, I had to, for my uh, flagship collection for Volo Bespoke, we used goose feathers on an earring stand, right? So the stem of the earring stand is so thin, it's, a, it's about a quarter inch thick that feathers are too big to wrap around it. And also feathers don't wrap around things very well either because it's like little strands. So I needed to create a technique of wrapping feathers around a bar of metal. So first thing I did was go on YouTube um, and start searching feather working and haute uh, couture and see how they work with feathers and then kind of uh, extrapolate that to create my own method. And so a book like this, if I had a book like this, I would just immediately use it as a reference before I make anything and see, well, how are the pros doing it? And then reverse engineer it to how can I do it? So I think this is just amazing for that purpose. But if you're not interested in things like me, <laughs> then uh, that's a, it's, it's a nice coffee book table, I guess. <laughs> Personally, I think this is a fantastic idea I, because many people are nosy enough to want to know the process, especially if you're a maker like you and I. I always want to know the behind the scenes. And in fact, even on social media, the behind the scenes stuff gets a lot, of, a lot more engagement than sometimes finished products. So again, I can see this easily being one of the coffee luxury coffee table books of the year. Also, um, I love anything that is produced by Asseline. They are my dream publisher. If I were to do another book, I, you know, I'm putting it out there in the universe. I would love to do a book with them because all the most amazing luxury brands, they do books for them. Um, think of 
every contemporary, you know, fashion designer that you've ever heard of, they've actually done books for them. But the thing about those books is that they tend to be coffee table books. They tend to be quite beautifully done and very expensive. And they're never sold in the mainstream. So you can literally just get them from Asseline or maybe a secondhand bookshop or something. And I also had a quick look at the editor of this particular book. He's actually authored around 25 books on arts and history. Um, he's known for a couple of those books. He's an amazing public speaker. He, he, he's crazy about watches, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, it's the perfect partnership. So again, looking forward to buying the book, which I believe retails at $95. And I actually thought that was quite cheap because <laughs> I would have paid three times that, you know, to get my hands on the book. So yes, yeah, so I think $95 is nothing, to be honest. So I was actually surprised at the price. But again, I think it's a must-have book. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely, be, you know, once it's out properly, I'll definitely be getting a copy. Yeah, and you know, the thing about this book is they published another book, which was uh, for, for Louis Vuitton, that was actually about, it was about, it was windows. So it's kind of, again, looking at the storefronts of Louis Vuitton. So they had a collection of all the storefronts at the boutiques that they had. And that book now sells for more than $1,000 on the secondary market. Now, unfortunately, to get this book to me, the shipping alone is $72. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. But, um, you know, if you are uh, maybe in Europe, it'll be cheaper. And also they do free shipping if you spend more than, um, I think, $200. Then okay. they'll give you free shipping and they'll even give you a tote bag uh, with some special additions. So, yeah, there's that. Now, I would love to buy this, but again, like I'm saying, am I going to pay $70 to ship a book to me? But think know. about it. It potentially, it potentially could be worth in, I don't know, seven years. It could be worth 10 times that, 10 times That's the 95 it, it, because you know, if the one they they the one that you that you spoke about, the Windows one, came out in two thousand and fifteen, and it probably was under a hundred dollars as well then, and it's now over a thousand dollars, and I believe that value will definitely be going up, because people aren't doing paper books anymore, and yes. and and another thing I thought actually was if I was Asseline. I would have done this. I would have done uh, maybe only a few. Well, they tend to do a limited run anyway. I'll do a limited run and then I'll attach an NFT to it as well. That's what I yeah, would have done. Because they already have artworks on all of their book covers and, that, and they're quite nice. So I could definitely see that uh, being a thing. And I guarantee the NFT will end up costing more than the book. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Just like the NFT of a, of a Birking, um, well, NFT, not even by them, by some artist, ended up costing almost the same as a real bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, I, you know, and they might as well, right? Because this is the kind of product where I really feel like NFTs actually work because it's a physical good 
and it's special and there's art involved and there's craftsmanship involved and then you're tacking on the digital artwork so i I love those kinds of uh those kinds of collabs exactly nfts that makes sense not just a jpeg (laughs) (laughs) not a not a jpeg with you know pixelated animals or something (laughs) yeah We are interrupting this episode to tell you a little bit about the people behind Luxury News Weekly. I'm your host, Simba Wakatama, the founder and CEO of Volo Bespoke. We personalize jewelry storage for the jewelry you wear. Find me on Instagram or LinkedIn at Simba Wakatama. I'm Elizabeth Solaru, founder and CEO of Luxury Business Emporium and Elizabeth's Cake Emporium. You can find me on LinkedIn as Elizabeth Solaru or on Instagram as Luxury Business Emporium. Now, speaking of exciting drops, our last story for today, we're talking about Gucci and Adidas uh, finally collaborating on something that is shaking up Milan Fashion Week. Have they collaborated before? Why do I feel like they've collaborated before? I think so too. I have a feeling they have. And I have a feeling we've probably spoken about it. That's what I'm saying. Um, yeah, I think when we, we have. In, in one of our clubhouse rooms. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I think they've collaborated at a smaller scale. And uh, we spoke about it. But let's talk about this. So people are so excited about this collaboration. Uh, they're saying it's the best, th- the best thing uh, for like this year. Now, mind you, we had a bunch of collaborations: the Denmark Gap, kind, the Yay Denmark Gap, Yay or Ye, I don't even know at this point. Um, collab, and uh, that was a very big one as well. But of course, we're not talking Fashion Week for that. In this case, it looks like Gucci took a very, what can I say? A sporty take on their kind of regular style of like semi-casual or or semi-formal or like um, not exactly leisure, chic leisure, if you will. And you know what? I don't hate it. Do I think this is the best? No, I, I don't. Accessories are on point, though. And the collaboration makes sense also because Gucci has, what, three stripes? And Adidas has also got three stripes. So it's very convenient, you know, from a branding perspective as well. What do you think, Elizabeth? I actually love this collection. Um, I love it uh, for the reason that everything was very well considered. It wasn't just... We've seen collaborations where all they've done is slap logos on everything and they've literally just kind of re- just not even redone what they already have. I absolutely love it because the quality for me, the quality of the accessories is absolutely lovely. I love some of the fabric that they've used. They've used snake skin, suede, velvet, knit um, in particular, especially the, the knit um outfit is one of my favorites they've um used foil and some of the logos so they've actually done a really really good job because the close-up images are just standing up on their own 
the handbags look absolutely phenomenal. Um, so all the details are there. So that is why I love the collection. It's very well thought through, very well considered. And I know that potentially you can tell some of the items are going to be collector's items. They're going to, they're going to like double or triple in value straight away. So yeah, I absolutely, absolutely love it. And I think from what I understand, looking at, um, they have a joint Instagram page for this collection, which has had about over a million likes and thousands of comments. I believe that it's really, really been a hit with a lot of the fans as well. Yeah, I think the accessories, like you mentioned, are on point. And I, you know, I like how they took a sports coat very literally, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, you know, like I said, I think it's great. My only thing is like, well, is the Adidas person wearing this clothing and is the Gucci person wearing this clothing? And I, I really think it was more of an Adidas collection for Gucci people, not a Gucci collection for Adidas people. Yeah, I can see why. Yeah, because the of the emphasis on the sporty side of things, I can absolutely see that. It's a slight departure for Gucci. However... I still think that some of the accessories, the handbags, the shoes, etc., could definitely be for a Gucci collector. Absolutely. Yeah, well, actually, that's what I'm saying. I think this is all for Gucci collector. I don't think Adidas people, uh, you know, die Adidas diehards uh, would wear the forms and the silhouettes and the tailoring, right? Because it's it's mostly athleisure, you know? Yeah, but then again, you know, we shouldn't really put people in a box. You never know. They might convert. You never know. <laughs> you never you never know. know. Yeah, but you know what? I give this a thumbs up. Uh, thumbs up. Uh, execution gets two thumbs up. Wearability, one thumb up. And the actual collaboration itself, I'll give it one thumb up. One and a half. One and a half thumbs <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you all for listening. And tune in every single week for Luxury News Weekly. Also, don't forget to find us on Instagram and TikTok at Luxury News Weekly, where we post about luxury news and keep you up to date with our episodes.